Hi, this is Philip Mora, a pastor here at Mamlaka Hill Chapel, Ruaka. Thanks for tuning in to our Sermons podcast. We are currently doing a series on the attributes of God. We pray that this sermon series will grow your love for God, nourish your soul, and increase your faith in God. And here is today's message. Today, I want us to wrap up the series that we began on the attributes of God, a.k.a. Behold our God. And last week, as a way of introduction, we talked about the holiness of God. And we were looking at the text of Isaiah, chapter 6, where Isaiah sees God in his holiness, in his majesty, and almost feels like this is the top of the mountain. This is Everest. This is the snow peak of what the attributes of God are. At, at the holiness of God, we almost reach the height uh, of all that encompasses what God is. And you almost feel like it's too far away, too distinct, too, uh, too removed from us. It's almost like we can never even get a handle on who God is really. We can't come close to him. The psalmist uh, in expressing this kind of frustration as who will ascend to his holy hill? Who really can ascend? Who can touch that kind of holiness that God displays? And says, uh, he who has pure hands. You almost think, ah, but God, really, who has pure hands? All our hands are soiled. We are all sinners. Uh, how can we ever interact with a God so pure, so separate, so removed, so distinct? But today, as we go into this last installment, I want us to sit at the foot of the mountain, that mountain high and lofty of God's uh, holiness, and experience the falling snowflakes that come from his purity and grandeur, the dew that comes from the mountain to the under mountain. That shower that will rain from his holy hill. Indeed, grace and mercy becomes the bridge. The bridge that bridges this chasm, this great length between his holiness and our sinful nature. So today we want to look at the mercy and the grace of God as our last installment. Well, mercy and grace uh, I mostly used interchangeably, unless you are referring to the names of people. Uh, many of you have named your children mercy, others uh, grace, uh, for one reason or the other. Uh, though nowadays I think you guys are being a bit gisty with your words. Uh, my daughter is Wanja, uh, so just uh, so kept it at that, uh, even though you can call her Jasmine. Is allowed. <laughs> yeah, I see you. Yeah. Indeed, the mercy of God and the grace of God are very closely related. It's almost difficult to tear them apart. It's almost hard to tell what is grace and what is mercy. Where does mercy end and where does grace start? Another word you find used for this is patience. And God will talk about his patience, his mercy, 
He talks about how he is gracious and compassionate. And you almost see in your translations as you read, these words being used interchangeably. But for the sake of this message, allow me to try and make a distinction between the two, just for the sake of our understanding. Mercy, I will define it to be the kindness of God towards those who are in misery and distress. Those who are in misery and distress, while the grace of God is the kindness of God towards those who are deserving of punishment. Indeed, just by definition, those who are deserving of punishment are in misery. Those who are deserving of punishment truly are in distress, or rather they should be. So, you almost see now how they overlap one another so to speak. But let me start with mercy. And mercy is the attribute of God that we see quite early in the scriptures. All the way back to the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. And man, Adam and Eve decide to eat the fruit that they were clearly told not to eat. And God comes in the garden and he comes and asks, hey, Adam, Eve, where are you guys? And Adam shyly in a squeaky voice says, Yeah, we are, we are hiding behind this bush. You know the one with the yellow leaves, big enough to cover our nakedness. God asks, uh, how did you know you're naked? You realize it's not that God did not know. God was asking so that even, again, we talked about the omniscience of God, right? So it's not that he is unawares. But he's asking them, okay, tell me what happened. Uh, come out, just uh, confess your sin, ask for my repentance or my forgiveness, or something. And one of the amazing, amazing things that we see in Genesis chapter 3, after God has cast the serpent, cast the ground, uh, ladies, uh, sorry, uh, pain in childbirth, guys, even more sorry, the ground will not yield. Uh, see, that's a fair comparison, right? right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, the Bible tells us that he takes a lamp, innocent lamp, humble lamp, a lamp that was eating its grass and never touched the forbidden fruit, and slaughters it to cover the shameful nakedness of Adam and Eve. Wow. Behold the mercy of God. He did not lash out on them. He, he did not tell them, go to the naughty corner. I want to give you two days. You know, some of you are notorious at doing that. <clears throat> Wives and husbands. Uh, how many days of uh, quietness do you get after you have uh, had a tiff? You know where you are allowed to simmer? Yeah? Where you actually chill, watch Netflix until uh, the other one is asleep. Because we like to, yeah, some bit of vengeance. I'll forgive you, by the way. It's not that I won't forgive you, but in the meantime, but see the mercy of God. He does not even allow us that he, to fester in our sin. Immediately, slaughters a lamb and covers these guys. Secondly, and more amazingly, 
Not only does this cover their sh shameful nakedness, he kicks them out of the garden. Wow, how is that, Mercy? All of you are thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it. He would revenge at some point. But the Bible says, that he says, God says, now man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He says, let us keep him away from the garden, lest he should eat, stretch his hand, and take from the fruit of the tree of life. And you are thinking, how is that mercy? My friends, if God had allowed us through Adam and Eve, to eat of the tree of life in our, in our fallen state, forever damned. Forever damned with no way of retribution. Because never would we actually die. And forever in that fallen state we will be, like Satan and his demons who never die, always awaiting the final judgment that is to come. Behold the mercy of God that he kicked us out of the garden. Knowing very well that through death he will bring reconciliation between you and I somewhere down the road. This is the mercy of our God. James chapter 5 verse 11 will call him the God of compassion and mercy. God full of compassion and mercy. Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 will say, He's the Father of compassion, the Lord of all comfort. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 will say, God who is rich in mercy. Two ways I want us to look at mercy today. First, mercy displayed to those who are in suffering, in pain, in misery. Secondly, mercy displayed to those in need of forgiveness. Let's talk about mercy in eradicating our suffering. When Jesus is walking here on earth, and mind you, Jesus was God. So one of the things I'd like to make clear is that when we are talking about the attributes of God, we are making no distinction between the Godhead. The Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are not trying to distinguish them. To say that one is omnipotent, the other one uh, not so much. Or one is omniscient and the other one, okay, that one gets left behind when it comes to information. Uh -uh. When you talk about these attributes of God, they are equally distributed, passed out through all the persons of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is good and gracious. The Holy Spirit is immutable as he is holy. And every other member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. So when I am talking here about the mercy of God, the grace of God, indeed the Son is a gracious Son. The Father is gracious. The Holy Spirit is a Spirit of grace. Mark chapter 20 will tell us about these two blind men. And they hear that Jesus is passing. And they say, son of David, have mercy on us. Matthew chapter 15 verse 22, the Canaanite woman, the one who was told, how can I give the gifts of the children to, you know, and we almost say, ah, but Jesus was not acting as Christian as he should be. 
Go and read that story. But she cries to God. She cries to Christ and says, Son of David, have mercy on my, on my daughter. The daughter was demon-possessed. Again, Jesus will look at a hungry crowd that has been following him for three days. And he says, okay, these guys are hungry. And the Bible says in Matthew 15, 32, that he had compassion on them. He is the Lord of all compassion. To the crowd that he looks at and says, they looked harassed like a sheep without a shepherd. He said he had compassion on them. To Jerusalem he'll say, I have desired that I may just hug you like a hen with its cheeks, but you have refused. That's the kind of compassion that Jesus displays for us. Psalms 145, allow me to read that. Psalms 145, verse 8. The Lord, the Lord is gracious. The Lord is compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all, and he has compassion on all that he has made. This is our God, friends. A merciful and compassionate God he is. And did I say that to all these guys who cried out for mercy to Christ, he actually showed them mercy. He healed the girl who was demon-possessed. He healed the blind men and restored their sight. He fed the hungry. He even died for the harassed because he had compassion on them. What a mercy. Our God delights in showing mercy to his children. <coughs> Secondly, we talked about a God who shows mercy to we who are in misery, right? Secondly, we want to talk about a God who shows mercy in forgiving sin and transgression. You see, sin is rebellion against God. Sin is looking at God and cursing him to the face. Sin is saying, I will not follow what you say. You don't own me. But God says that graciously, he will always forgive those who come to him in repentance. It's, it's almost, you would perhaps say, annoying sometimes. Look at, look at Jonah. Jonah is this guy who we are introduced to him. He's writing his own letter and he says, you know, when the word of the Lord came to me and told me to go to Nineveh and proclaim doom on Nineveh, destruction on Nineveh, I took another ship and went to Tarshish. I almost think, okay, um, yeah, Nineveh was occupied by Assyrians. Assyrians were violent guys. Assyrians were the guys who were harassing Israel. In fact, they are the ones who actually destroyed the northern kingdom. They were brutal. Jonah, why are you running away? I thought proclaiming doom to these guys should actually be something you want to do. But chapter 4 will tell us about this guy. And this is sitting under a vine. And a mefura, kama mandazi. And God comes to him and says, why are you angry? And he says, I knew it. 
it. No matter, I wanted to go to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. Because I knew, I knew that you, God, you are a compassionate God. I, I knew it. That if I go and tell these guys, they will be destroyed. You, if they repent, will show them mercy. And he says, no man, I was running away. Because I know you are a compassionate God. He's taking beef with God because of being compassionate. Haven't you felt that sometimes? When someone who has hurt you or, uh, yeah, dealt not so kindly towards you, and then you see that God just forgives him. Yeah, one of my colleagues was saying, when God says vengeance is mine, it's like he doesn't do anything without vengeance. <laughs> and I can't be oh, don't avenge yourself. But he won't avenge. Mjama mekuumiza, oh, heartbreak, blah, blah. Then the next day on Sunday, you're seeing him lifting hands here, crying, <laughs> and God has forgiven him. Forgiven him what? Like, Goja, wait a minute. Some of us who maybe had broke someone earlier in life. <laughs> and now they see you on the pulpit proclaiming God's word. <laughs> how? How now? God has shown this guy mercy. Does he know what he did to me? How he hurt me? Sometimes it even feels like, God, you are too merciful. As in, you don't do anything. Think about David. David has sinned against God. He has counted the armies of Israel. And God had said, never count the armies of Israel. Because when you count the armies of Israel, you start thinking, I'm a king who has a great army. And you become puffed up. And you start relying on the size of your army when it comes to war. He had said, never count them. When it is time for war, whoever comes will come. But don't count the numbers. David thinks, ah. Job tries to say, don't. Uh -uh. He goes ahead and does it. And when God comes and says, I want you to choose three years of famine, three months of uh, war, three days of plague. And David is like, oh, I've sinned against the... Ah, David, what does David say? I'd rather fall in the hands of the living God. Why? Because there, there is great mercy. Have you discovered a God who is great in mercy? This is our God. Friends, and when David says that, in fact, God sends the plague. And it comes devouring Israel. And he says that the angel of death is swinging his sword and killing. 70,000 people are dead. And they say that it grieved the Lord. It grieved him until he said, enough, hold back your hand. And we find the angel of death standing, waiting to keep slashing. And David comes and offers sacrifices. And the plague is, av uh, is averted. Behold the mercy of your God, friends. Paul, talking about mercy, will say, I was a prosecutor 
I was a violent man. I was a blasphemer. This is 1 Timothy 1, uh, 1 chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. But I was shown mercy. God's mercies are infinite. They can never be exhausted. God's mercy for us, even for the worst of sinners, they can never be quenched. You can never quench the mercies of God. If Paul was forgiven, and he calls himself the chief of sinners, you too can find mercy in God. Three things we must do on account of the mercy of God. First, we say God is merciful to those who are in need. God is merciful to those who need forgiveness. Three things we must do. First, we must be merciful to those who are in need. Friends, James chapter 1 verse 27 will tell us, to the fatherless and to the widows, we must show mercy. We must visit them. We must do acts of kindness towards them. First John chapter 3 will say, verse 17, if you, your brother is in need, and you are in a position to help, and have no pity on them, how can the love of God be in you? How can you claim that you love God, yet you see your brother in need and do nothing about it? Two things perhaps you can do, like Luke said, uh, uh, Luke writing about John the Baptist says, if you have two tunics, share one. If you have food, share. Behold, if you do not show mercy, if you do not show concern to those who are in need, you will not be shown concern. You will not be shown mercy. This is James chapter 2 verse 13. But, Jesus will teach us in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the merciful. Why? Because they shall be shown mercy. Proverbs 19 verse 17. You may have heard this in uh, occasions where they need you to give money. Uh, those who are kind to the poor lend to? Lend to? God. Proverbs 11 25. Those who refresh others? Huh? See, that motivates you a bit to give a bit more. And I know you have heard these things until perhaps you've gotten what we call mercy fatigue. But you know, God is true to his word. When he says you lend to me, more secure than the central bank of Kenya, we say, ah, you know you can invest in bonds. The government never fails to pay its promises. What about God? Oh, you think the government is fully secure? That, that money will be invested and it will, they never default? Try your God. He never ever defaults. But let me speak to you who has mercy fatigue. You who has been conned, for example. You gave contributions to a children's home for six years and then realized that it never existed in the first place. That's how I feel. Ah, maybe by the history, a charity, nothing. Never showing mercy again. Maybe these street families who are always knocking on your window when you are in traffic. And now you just think, ah, oh, man, me, I'm done. I'm, no, enough. 
Keep showing mercy. Keep showing mercy. You know why? Because your God does not tire to show you mercy. How many times have you taken advantage of the mercy of God? Next week. Pastor David confess your sins. The same, same sin that you confessed three weeks ago. Does God have mercy fatigue on you? Sometimes God gives you provision. I'm a prayer of you too. Date five, share a Lord did. <laughs> After this, send Wakanda to Gula Pizza. To, you know, yeah? So God has been good to us. Date 28, no, you were turn at your mesa. The Lord, oh, have mercy on me. You know, I, 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 I know I might have spent a few shillings badly. If God does not take offense, at you coming for mercy over and over again. Help where you can. Keep helping. But maybe for you, honestly, you have worked with mercy ministries. You have been Kamae for the last uh, three, four years. You have been going to children's homes every month. You have, honestly, you are fatigued. Pray God to give you refreshment. That he will refresh you and then stay faithful. Remember, he is no man's debtor. He will repay every act of kindness on your part. So one, God shows us mercy. We ought to show mercy to those who are in need. Secondly, God shows us mercy in our sin. We must show mercy to those who have sinned against us. You must forgive. If someone is repentant, those who come to you and say, Aki nisame, you must forgive. Stand ready to forgive. Remember the unforgiving servant. The parable of the unforgiving servant. The guy has been forgiven like a billion dollars here by the king. And I talk about He meets this guy who has like two, three K of his. Something that he can pay within two or three days. And the guy pleads with him, just give me some time, I'm going to pay. The Bible says that he holds him to the neck like this. And he drags him to the jail and says, keep him there until he should pay. That's how he treats the other one who is in need of forgiveness like himself. And when the king hears about it, he says, what do you mean? I forgive that guy a billion dollars. And now he has the, you know, El Futatu, 3K. And the way I forgive it, bring him, throw him to the jailers. That he also should pay everything that he owes me. You know, some of you, when you owe someone 2K, start sending them messages, oh, return my funds. <laughs> funds. 2K, 2K funds. Ah, uh, that's okay. And your fans are due. Don't use Kizungumingi on 2K. This guy is claiming someone to be thrown to for 3K, and the guy has been forgiven a great debt. 
And Jesus will caution us and say, in the same way, if you do not forgive, that very way, God will not forgive you. God will treat you as he treated this man. Right after the Lord's Prayer, God will tell us that if you don't forgive your brother, this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 14, God will not forgive you either. You see, to not forgive is to stand on a pedestal. It's to stand on a pedestal higher than God's pedestal. And say, yeah, I can withhold forgiveness even though God does freely give. It is to despise the mercy of God. It's to say, whatever he did for me was nothing. Stand ready to forgive. So, two things. Have mercy on those who are in need. Have mercy on those who are in need of your forgiveness. Thirdly, recognize that God's supply of mercy for you is endless. Are you in need of the comfort that comes from God? Are you in need of his healing? Are you in need of his provision? Are you in need of his love, his care, his wisdom, his guidance, his protection? Are you run to God for mercy? He has become to us a faithful and a merciful high priest. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 who sympathizes with our weakness. Indeed, he invites us to draw near to the throne of God, where we may find what? Mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. What is it that mercy cannot supply for you today? What need do you have that is beyond the mercies of God? Cry out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you need forgiveness? John chapter 1 verse 9 will say, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all our unrighteousness. Hebrews chapter 8 he says, Our God, as far as the east is from the west, he has separated our sins from us. In fact, he says that he remembers our sin no more. Do you know God is the only one who has a superpower of forgetting your sins? Some of you say, oh, you know me, I forgive and forget. Ah, I won't go well. <laughs> Unless you have amnesia, which actually should, you should go to hospital. But every time someone wrongs us, tomorrow we'll still see them and remember that they wronged us. Even though we have forgiven them, honestly in our hearts, we still remember that they wronged us. Are you feeling condemned today? Are you walking around with this guilt? Taraki God, you know what I did two years ago? You know, God is like, okay, I'm looking at my records. By the way, I can't find that. Like, like it was obliterated from his records. That sin is gone. Stop living in condemnation. Don't let the devil condemn you. When God forgives, indeed when he shows you mercy in your forgiveness, it is done. You would ask, how about grace? So we've talked about mercy. How about grace? Grace is the house built on the foundation 
that mercy has laid. So mercy lays the foundation. Grace builds on it. Mercy perhaps is that tree. Grace is the fruit that overflows from it. Grace proceeds from mercy and then goes beyond mercy. When mercy just forgives, grace both forgives and then rewards. When mercy accepts, grace accepts and then adapts. When mercy reconciles, grace moves beyond reconciliation, it embraces. Grace is always a step further from what mercy is. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10, God will be described by Peter here as the God of all grace. His grace is unearned. His grace is undeserved. He retains the right to show grace to whoever he wants to show grace. In fact, none of us can ever make a claim to grace. None of us can ever say that God owes us grace. God is under no compulsion. You know, the way you can untwist him and say, you owe me. There's nothing you can do to untwist God for him to owe you grace. In fact, even your highest acts, they can never force God to act graciously towards you. He does this out of his own free will. And the only thing that God owes us is justice. If you want something that God owes you, it's justice. The moment we think that God owes us grace, uh-uh, we have lost it. He owes us justice, and justice for our sin is condemnation, wrath, punishment, death. That is what God owes you. But his grace is free. No one can earn it, not in our religious piousness, not in our good works, not in our morality, not in our service, not even in our giving or our merit. None of us can ever earn grace. It must be a gift given to guilty sinners who stand before him empty-handed. But not a gift to those who are righteous or a reward for their righteousness. No wonder some have called it unmerited favor. I think this one you have had. Grace is unmerited favor, right? Yeah. Without merit. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. I'll read this quickly. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were, by nature, objects of wrath. Don't you love this word? But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. Friends, this is what grace is. A merciful disposition of God towards sinners deserving of wrath and death. Paul begins here by saying, you are dead in your transgressions. Some of you don't think those are strong words. Like dead? Yeah, I was just, okay, you can say I was bad-mannered. Not such a good guy. Dead in your transgressions, he says. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 will say that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. First Peter, we have gone astray. This is chapter 2 verse 25. Each of us like sheep on our own way. We all stand condemned before God. None of us can stand before God. None of us can change that. Condemnation hangs on our head. At any point, his wrath will be revealed and we are dead. Listen to what this writer of the hymn writes. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill the law's demand. Could my zeal not respite me? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. You know, sometimes we imagine that maybe our service in God's house, you know I'm an usher in church, you know I am a worship leader, you know I am a pastor, you know I serve in the Sunday school. Our church attendance, maybe membership, maybe knowledge, I know I know these things about God, you know maybe morality, I never do. Maybe our giving, generosity towards the work of God. Sometimes we think that those things can compel God to be gracious towards us. That somehow, you know, like he might remember I have given. <laughs> Others think that God must forgive. After all, God is a good God. Like a good God. Like how could he be good if he does not do that? Let me tell you, God retains by his own free will the right to show mercy to whoever he desires. Nothing you can do to make him compelled to show you mercy. Exodus chapter 33 verse 19 will say, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy to whoever I will show mercy. He does, he does not need your advice or you to point him in the right direction. He is gracious on who he is gracious. In our world, sin has become something vague. We don't think ourselves as rebels deserving death. Like, those are strong terms. Like, why, why are we... Uh, you know, Bible sometimes... Yeah, it exaggerates these things, we think. We say we are humans. We make mistakes. After all, man is too. Yeah, man is too. You know? <laughs> Somehow we think that God understands this. He's complacent also. He understands that by the way, what if I had two mistakes? Like sometimes I like to tell my wife, what do you say how? 
That's after I've been sent something and I didn't want to go away by the shop to Like people just forget. Sometimes when we turn a blind eye to wrongdoing, like when we don't punish our children, you know, I may misbehave, and you're like, ah, oh, child, do that. Or when you don't, employers don't give show causes to every employee for every small thing or one in letter. Sometimes you just let it go. And that, in our culture, is applauded. Ignoring evil and wrongdoing is called tolerance. You've heard that word, right? You know, we're just being tolerant. You know, you should accept all people the way they are. That liberalism that is creeping in our culture. And those who are morally strict, those who insist on good and wrong, they are called intolerant, prideful, arrogant, discriminatory, narrow-minded, sometimes unjust. Maybe we think of God in these terms as well. Tolerant. A liberal. Of course he'll understand my feelings. He knows that I created me like this. He understands my failures. Nothing can be farther from the truth. When God talks to uh, Abraham, he says, Abraham asks, will you treat the righteous the same way we treat the unrighteous? He says, indeed not. God will be just. He must remain true to himself. The word I read there, but God, rich in mercy, not by but man, but us, but we. He says, but God who is rich in mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7. That he wanted to show his mercy towards us. No one even told him that he should show mercy. He just decided on his own to do so. Second Timothy will tell us, there's nothing we have done to compel him to show us mercy. It is by his purpose and by his grace. He just decides to show mercy. He is self-motivated. It is to the praise of his glory and grace. Ephesians chapter, five, uh, chapter 1 verse, verse 6. That way he has made us alive. He has given us the gift of salvation. Completely unearned. Completely by his own merit. Again, this gift is through faith. Not by works. So that none of you would boast. You know some of you would walk with piousness. You remember the Pharisee who kicked his uh, chest? He says, me, I'm not like these guys. You know me, I tithe everything, including my, uh, what do we call it? The spices. Dania. And every Sunday you find Pastor David here with a bunch of Danias. Remember the other tithe that uh, the Pharisee was offered. That kind of strictness he thought that he could earn grace. Remember the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, what must I do? None of us can boast about grace. Because it is purely not by works. Faith is depending wholly on someone else. Not on yourself. It is abandoning any human attempt and relying solely on the grace of God. No merit. No righteousness. Empty-handed we come to God. Listen to the words of this uh, hymn writer. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. 
Naked I come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. O vile I to the fountain fly, wash me saviour or I die. But up until this point we have just talked about perhaps the mercy of God displayed towards sinners. John chapter 1 verse 17, this is the cherry of the cake guys. This, this, this is the cherry of the cake. He says, to all those who believed him, he gave them the power, the right to become what? Children of God. Titus 3, 7. We'll say, having been justified by grace, we have become heirs of hope, eternal life. What a transition. You are a condemned sinner on death row. You are supposed to die. But now you are an heir of grace, expecting an inheritance from God, heir and co-heir with Christ. Wow! What a transition. What a grace. Three things I want us to respond to with regards to grace. And then we will be done. First, we must desire to be gracious to others. We talked about mercy and how we should extend mercy to others. Now we must be gracious to others, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has been gracious to us. You see, he went further than just forgiving our sins. He died on the cross for us. And maybe what he asks of us is also that we may emulate him, imitate him by showing grace to others. How about reaching out to the offender in love? I know, sometimes you say, I'm in Maksamehe. Lakini from today henceforth, Starkey stories, huh? No, how about moving beyond forgiving? How about showing grace? How about not only forgiving, but also reaching out? You know, he cheated on me. Mini lakini me, I'm not going to live in that marriage anymore. About showing grace. No one is compelling you to do that. But how about going just a step further and not leaving just it? Ah, you know she deceived me. Ah, me, by the way, I'm done. Uh, how about grace? How about desiring to trust again? Even when you know that you have been wounded. How about that friend, that auntie, that loved one who wronged you so much? You forgave them, yes, but you cut all the ties. You never call them. I don't mute WhatsApp status, Yaki. What about pursuing a friendship with you? That is grace. Your husband, your wife, they have wronged you. How about showing affection? How about praying for that enemy? God desires that we may also be gracious as he is. Secondly, how about setting aside the grace of God as a believer? Some of you may have set aside the grace of God. You know, you came and you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and wholly by grace you received salvation, surrendered to God for your forgiveness. 
But now, since that day, you've been trying to maintain that salvation by your own works. Every day you're so worried that somehow you might mess up and the grace of God will no longer be applied to you. When you miss that one uh, Bible study in the morning, you are walking around condemned, feeling as though, I don't deserve this mercy anymore. I know this might be a small group of people. But how about you abandon that weight? You stop thinking that what you have received by grace, you can maintain it by your works. Let loose. Let the Lord take care of it. Galatians chapter 2 verse 21 is say, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be achieved by the law, Christ died for nothing. Foolish Galatians. Who told you that for what you received by grace now you must do works to maintain it? What is earned by grace can only be kept by grace. But maybe for you, you think to yourself, you know, I'm already free. I've been set free by the grace of God. <coughs> I can never lose it, right? And now, because you know that fact, you have been living a loose life. You take the grace of God for granted. You continue indulging in sin. You continue to live as though you have never experienced the grace of God. Romans chapter 6 will ask, shall we continue to sin now that we have received grace? And says, of course not. How can we who have been rescued continue in the same way that we were? Titus chapter 2 will say that God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live godly and upright lives before God. Grace is not for indulgence. This freedom that we have found is for the service of God. We are free to serve God, not to indulge in sin. I like the songwriter who says, Oh to grace, what a debtor. Daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to live the God who I love. He is my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That must be the attitude of you and I when it comes to the grace of God. Finally, and allow me to call the worship team to come and join me here so that we may sing one song. Are you here and you have never known the grace of God? Are you stranger to the grace of God? Titus chapter 2 verse 11 will say that the grace of God has appeared to all men. All of us equally. The grace of God is available for us. Rich and poor. Young and old. Women and men. People of all races, all nationality, all status. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He will not turn away anyone who comes to him. I tell you the truth. Salvation is only in Christ. I tell you the truth that there is nothing you can do. There is no other name 
for which you must be saved. Save Jesus Christ. Your righteous deeds will never stand in judgment. All your attempts to live a moral life are insufficient. I tell you, your only hope is in Christ Jesus. This is all, the only way to escape the judgment to come. Are you here and you're a believer? And for you, sin has become a persistent, something you are unable to shake off. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 will say, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You know the sea of grace is infinite. You can never quench it. There is no sin that you can ever do too great for the Lord to forgive you. Come freely today, he will richly pardon. It doesn't matter what you have done. You can access this grace of God for your forgiveness. First Thessalonians chapter 5. He who called you is faithful. He is faithful to keep your soul and he is faithful to keep your body until the return of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. His grace is enough. His grace is enough for us. Much more than we can imagine. By his grace we have been saved from the penalty of sin. By his grace we are being saved from the power of sin. And by his grace indeed we shall be saved from the presence of sin altogether at the end. Would you rise to your feet as we praise our God for this grace. As we thank him and pray eternally and earnestly that more and more grace will be shed to us for our enduring faith.